Hello and welcome to this week's Shoot the Moon podcast, broadcasting live and direct from Revenue Rocket World Headquarters in Bloomington, Minnesota. I'm uh, happy today to uh, be presenting with my partners, Matt Lockhart and Ryan Barnett. Revenue Rocket is the world premier growth strategy and M&A advisor to tech-enabled services companies. We'll turn it over to you guys to say hi and get started. Well, hello, Mike, and Happy New Year. Well, I'm sure this isn't running uh, in the first week of the year, but it is the first week of a what's going to be an awesome 2024. We're super excited. We're kicking off some new programs, and that's always fun. I think uh, everybody's rested. Maybe uh, need to bone up on the old exercise routine a little bit after a big holiday, and and away we go. What's going on, Ryan? Yeah, no, thank you, and Happy New Year's to well, uh, and, and a happy holiday season. The only fact I can share with you is apparently 80% of prime rib sales are done in the last week of the year. Something new I learned this holiday season, and I hope everyone came back ready and rested for an awesome 2024. I certainly am. And part of it is uh, it's a good year to to get a deal done, and that's something we were thankfully able to help with uh, this year in uh, what we call a deal facilitation. And what I wanted to talk with uh, Matt and Mike here today is what is the concept of of, of what is deal facilitation compared to an, an overall perhaps M&A process and why it's important to consider having an advisor on your side when considering uh, with a deal that may have already come together with a buyer and seller but has not gotten over the finish line. So, Mike, why don't you get us started and understanding um, just get what is deal facilitation and and how should a buyer or seller look at an advisor in uh, deal facilitation and how is that different from a traditional M&A process? Yeah, sure thing, Ryan. So uh, first thing I'm going to comment on the prime rib uh, stat. You know, I might explain my meat sweats over the holidays. Whew, I'm telling you, there's plenty of meat. Uh, over the over the holidays, but anyway, um, you know, deal facilitation oftentimes happens when someone gets either an unsolicited IOI, an indication of interest from a buyer, um, where they've been speaking with a potential buyer and they put forth uh, some financial data, sign an NDA and put some financial data out, and and that buyer puts forth a a, a, a relatively broad range for which they would be interested in acquiring their firm through an indication of interest. Um, And that happens before an advisor gets engaged. And there's conversations like that that go on all the time, right, Um, where people would entertain um, potentially someone that might be a suitor, they might sign an NDA, have some discussions, and either they float a number or they write up with a formal written IOI or whatever, but Usually a deal facilitation action comes after an IOI has been issued, but before a letter of intent is issued. And you as a seller go, you know, I feel like I need someone to represent our interests. And that for sure is the right time to bring in an advisor. And part of the reason for that is just purely statistical. Um, if you try to roll your own deal after getting um, an IOI or an unsolicited IOI, um, 
you know, unfortunately, the stats uh, related to that deal getting done, the success of that deal getting done, are very low. They're actually just, they hover around 1%. So said another way, there's a 99% chance that that deal will not get done unless you engage uh, some professionals around you to help facilitate that deal. Um, so, you know, there's a strong business case to say, okay, maybe if this is an offer that looks interesting enough to me to be able to investigate it further, it does make good sense to bring in an advisor to help uh, manage the relatively complex process involved with a potential buyer doing preliminary due diligence enough to get a letter of intent sent over that you could accept and sign. And then much more importantly, helping to field the diligence request or due diligence request and manage the negotiations uh, that will take you from letter of intent to close. So if I was to, to summarize this, just kind of functionally, uh, if you look through an M&A process, that's typically a full process, oftentimes starts with an origination. And that origination is going to be, uh, if you're working as an advisor to a buyer, that's going to be finding the companies to buy, starting those initial conversations, getting introduction calls, uh, uh, all the way through crafting an IOI, the LOI, getting that signed, getting them through a deal, through due diligence, through negotiation, dealing with the lawyers and accountants throughout that whole process, and eventually getting to a close. Um, in this deal facilitation, just to be extremely clear here, uh, the finding of suitors is oftentimes already completed, uh, and we're trying to tie together an arrangement to kind of get, um, you know, in our process, it almost be midway and instead kind of getting it across the line. Um, I think companies think, well, if I already have a buyer and I already have a suitor, or if I already have someone that's going to buy my company, why would I need help or representation? And uh, there's so many things that could go wrong in the process that it makes it critical to to start to help to have someone um, in there. So, um, Matt, you recently went through a transaction in which we did that deal facilitation. And maybe maybe you can outline um, why why they came to us and and why the sellers uh, wanted help uh, in that process and just get us going there. Yeah, sure. Um, and sort of one aside, and this this applies to firms of all shapes and sizes, right? And I I say that because in in some larger you know, deals between larger firms, oftentimes those firms may have a corporate development department. But the first thing those corporate development guys do is they find advisors to work with and they encourage both sides to have advisors. So it's not, now, in our case, you know, many times we're working with, you know, uh, medium-sized businesses, can be founder-led businesses, um, but, but firms that, you know, just don't have the experience. They, they haven't been through it before. Maybe they've been through it once, but they haven't been through it multiple times. And, and having that experience of working with people who've just seen 
a variety of different situations and are able to guide people together in a in a uh, in a productive uh, way um, that is fair to both parties um, is um, it's a it's a skill born out of experience. <laughs> um, and, you know, where are the areas that things can go wrong? Um, well, that initial ag ag agreement of a letter of intent, for example, um, that's an area where things can can sort of get off the the tracks, if you will. And or, um, you know, people I think they're agreeing to things, but they are they haven't been, you know, really well clarified. And when things aren't well clarified, then it, it brings up uh, usually more challenge moving forward, you know, post uh, a letter of intent. Um, then, you know, things can go wrong in, in the due diligence period. Even, you know, sort of what is due diligence? What is the appropriate level of due diligence? Uh, in order to complete a, a transaction. And, and, you know, uh, again, if people don't have experience, they don't, they aren't able to sort of set that path in a, in an agreeable fashion. And, and, you know, for example, for a seller who hasn't been through it before, if a buyer, you know, they may be looking for information that, you know, really isn't applicable to closing a deal. Um, and, and it's a distraction to the seller. It takes time. It takes money. It, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so those are just a couple of examples where things can just, again, get off the tracks where expectations are not managed. Um, and so, you know, one the, the reasons that a, a vast majority of deals don't get done is, um, is again around that whole idea of expectation management. And then that, you know, the last piece that I'll, I'll sort of point out is, is that again, for sellers, um, who haven't been through it before and or buyers who haven't been through it before, it can be an emotional process. And everybody, you know, there's a common agreement that there's a bunch of pieces that 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 look good in bringing two firms together. But if that ability to come together relationally and build trust doesn't happen, um, then it can all be for naught. And uh, and having an, a, a, a good advisor and a good experienced advisor in place for that facilitation process allows the relationship to um, to continue forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. The, the sellers still need to work with the buyers after the transaction. And if you're dealing with very, um, which can be emotionally charged, they don't have to be, but if you've got a really emotionally charged issue, like uh, how much cash is going to be in the business, uh, that directly impacts both buyer and seller. And to to have some almost, uh, you know, what we would call pushing and shoving or some stakes in the ground that uh, do oftentimes have a, a bit of uh, emotion tied to them, it, it's great to put that emotion on that third party. Uh, otherwise, uh, if you're going through that together, you might be um, stolen towards each other for the rest of your relationship, which could hopefully be a very, very long time. 
uh, assuming that the transaction goes through and works. Uh, I think that's a really great point, Matt, on uh, that having someone else be that uh, facilitator in those tough conversations is critical to, to keeping that uh, relationship uh, a long-term thing. Uh, switching gears a little bit, but Mike, I think it can help me out here. You know, what's what's your definition of, of due diligence or, or maybe what are two or three categories in which a seller would expect an advisor to provide uh, in in deal facilitation? Yeah, I, well, managing the diligence process is difficult. Uh, because what a buyer is trying to do is determine they've assumed a certain level of financial profile and risk associated with the deal. And they're trying to validate that what has they have been told up to that point is factual as it relates to legal diligence, financial diligence, and what I'll call overall business diligence and forecasting. That that risk profile holds together and that there's no quote unquote skeletons in the closet about things that either haven't been disclosed by a seller or may not even be necessarily known to the seller uh, because it's a non-standard way of maybe writing their agreements or dealing with their financials or their chart of accounts or, you know, it could be a variety of things. And so, you know, an advisor will provide advice and counsel on what that data is and how to position it and how to present it. So it supports the ultimate goal, which is to help the buyer validate that the business is what they, you've said it is. Um, and likewise have his ability to mitigate any potential risk or unforeseen risk that um, could exist. You know, I often say you can't really put lipstick on a pig here. You have to just present the data factually. But how it's positioned and presented and ultimately analyzed um, by a buyer and how it's presented by the sellers and their seller, seller's advisors is really important. Otherwise, sometimes you, to Matt's point, you go down this rabbit hole as a buyer on something that's not relevant, or you find that uh, if you're a seller uh, without someone that can help kind of stick handle this inquiry, um, you end up providing a lot of data that's just not material to a transaction. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you, um, and oftentimes as a, a business owner and, uh, in a mid-sized enterprise, uh, you may be the only person that actually is aware of the transaction. And it can be very difficult to continue to run a company and sell a company at the same time. And so having someone else that can be that interface to the buyer. So the seller can just run the firm without everyone else in the firm knowing. It's, a, I think, pretty critical, too. Uh, and as well as just validating that due diligence and sometimes even technically have a place to store it. Uh, an advisor is going to have a virtual deal room. Uh, for example, in, in a deal facilitation role, we'll set up a virtual deal room for our seller who will then put information up into that a portal 
we review the requests, we review the information that the seller is inputting to make sure it's what the buyer's really looking for and addresses the question in the best way. Upload that to a, a secure uh, virtual deal room for the buyer to deal with and then help uh, questions. If a seller is trying to do that alone, um, there, a, there could be just so many questions on what that dil- diligence request looks like as the list is typically hundreds of questions. And uh, B, just as it, is it a, you know, a good advice to get a practical input from someone who is from that outside that says, yeah, that is a good ask or that is a, or that's out of bounds and to have someone there. So you don't have to be that interface with the seller at all times or with the buyer at all times. That allows you to think strategically about how you want to be interacting with the firm. It gets post-merger integration strategy in your court compared to dealing with some of the nicks and knacks that may come from that support. And and without an advisor, you're, you could be pummeled to death with questions from the buyer just to get through that due diligence uh, due diligence process. Um, either of you can answer this question, but if you take a look at the M&A process, and that typically includes you know, from start to finish, from origination through close, um, there's typically fee structures that are associated with that that uh, are fairly, I'd say, almost industry standard. There's, I think, at least the understanding that there's oftentimes going to be some kind of a fee to help you go, going and some kind of success fee. Uh, Mike or Matt, uh, either one you can answer this, but uh, how do how do you expect fees to change from an advisor if you're doing deal facilitation compared to a, perhaps a full-service M&A transaction? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll jump in on that one. I, I think when you think about origination, um, you know, if, if you're just doing a, a deal facilitation, I don't want to say just because there's still a lot of work that goes into a deal facilitation. Um, you know, some would argue a lot of the art of M&A is done in the deal facilitation. Um, you know, the fees will be less um, than a full um sort of a full process, one that involves origination. Um, and and it's just, you know, the timing, the time to close is less, the kind of beginning to end, the time is less in a facilitation than in a full process. Keep in mind that an origination finds a buyer if you're a seller. And, for example, we're bringing you to market. We've got to find the buyer that fits your profile, that is in alignment with your strategy, culture, and financial, and there's a fit, a financial fit and all three pillars, um, and that we get to a, a deal that everyone can accept. We're getting to an LOI. Deal facilitation really starts at either an IOI or an LOI. So the target buyer um, and seller have been identified. So that that origination process can take, you know, 190 to 120 days typically. Um, sometimes longer, depending on the situation. And in, in a, a facilitation, you're kind of carving that part off the process. So, you know, typically if we get to a letter of intent uh, and we're doing a deal facilitation from letter of intent to close, it takes about 90 days on average. Um, if we have an IOI and then we're working towards deal facilitation, that time could get extended by a month or so. So it becomes 120 days. Um, but just understand deal facilitation, uh, 
comes typically with a little lower fee because uh, your your partner or your advisor is not facilitating origination. Um, and it comes with a shorter timeline, sort of beginning to end of the engagement. Yeah, that makes sense. And then, Matt, I mean, we just went through one of these. And if you're to look back, was there anything you wish would have done perhaps um, differently or the situation would have changed that would have that you could give future sellers advice to? Well, in this particular case, the parties had executed the um, letter of intent prior to um, either uh, us being engaged or the we were representing the seller and and the buyer actually engaged uh, another advisor, very reputable uh, advisor that we've worked with many times in the past. And and the very first thing that uh, I and and the other representative said was, boy, we wish we would have gotten engaged before they wrote this LOI. <laughs> and because, um, you know, there were just some gaps in it, right? And um and and so I think that that is uh, the the very you know first piece of advice. Um, you know I would just encourage people to to you know uh, it, we and we've talked about this before. Having a relationship with an advisor, regardless of when you may be taking action, either on the buy side or on the sell side, is is worthwhile um, because. You, you need to build that bridge. You need to build that understanding. Quite honestly, I and I tell you know um, our our clients this, and our you know even if they're even if they're they're not uh, engaged actively right now, I say call me with any questions that you have because we're happy to you know provide our perspective and and give some guidance, um, even if we're not fully engaged. And that can be, you know, super helpful. Um, and so I think that I think that that is an important piece is just having that relationship. And, you know, in this case, they they very well could have called and we could have, you know, taken a look and sort of given some guidance and and uh, made the made the process a, a, a bit easier. Um, you know, again, the fact that they're, that each side had advisors in place, it, it went relatively smoothly after sort of re doing some realignment and some realignment that, that needed to be done because the, the initial LOI just wasn't gonna, wasn't really gonna work. And so it's, uh, each, each one of these is its own little story and it, and they have their own nuances. But the earlier that you can engage, um, you know, with an advisor, the, the better. And then, you know, having an open discussion about where are, um, sort of the, the risk points in a deal, um, that, you know, that really need to be, you know, cared for. Um, I think that the other piece it, to it is, is, is there's other, um, you know, there's other professionals that need to be involved. Lawyers need to be involved. Um, accountants need to be involved. And so, you know, understanding who the entire deal team is going to be and, and being able to provide some guidance, uh, towards who, 
who are good, reputable um, professionals to work with is is other areas that, you know, in this case, we were able to assist with. And and I think that that's uh, in, in most often cases, you know, making sure that it's the right deal team for the right deal is is super important. Yeah, thanks, Matt. And it's, it's valid, really valid experience. I, if I heard that right, uh, engage an advisor uh, soon. So if you, you have an IOI in hand, uh, that helps. Uh, that advisor, and I don't think we touched about it today, but we've touched on it a lot. Like getting an independent third-party valuation is critical in that. So before you sign something that says this is what your firm is worth, it helps to get that third party say this is really what your firm is worth and what the market is willing to bear. So um, uh, the other thing to keep in mind, you know, LOIs are they are non-binding in nature. So there 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 can be moves, but it's movements in the LOI, but I think they're hard. And it's even though something may be non binding in nature doesn't mean that it wasn't agreed upon in a handshake carries a lot of weight in, in a lot of these deals. So uh, we're not a fan of retrading, but if you, you really came in with a, an, an LOI that is unfeasible, that it, there could be a case in which your, bot, your advisor tells you this isn't the right deal. So that there, there certainly could be the case. And I would say that there's a lot of um, uh, uh reshaping deals when an advisor is in play compared to uh, not being in play. Um, Mike, I heard you uh, talk a little bit about fees and and understanding that those fees are going to be a little bit different. Um, Your tie frames might be accelerated in deal facilitation because finding a buyer and a seller certainly takes uh, time without that. Uh, Mike, I also heard you talk about the importance of due diligence and making sure that there's an interface for for completing due diligence that helps uh, align the buyer's objectives of of finding the right uh, material in the deal while keeping uh, the the right parties focused uh, throughout. Um, And then ultimately, there are hundreds of things to negotiate in a deal. And I, I think that's something we didn't talk about a ton here, but um, if you as a seller are out there alone trying to negotiate every every sticking point um, from it could be working capital, it could be uh, deal terms, it could be an earnout, it could be employee contracts, it can be uh, so many different things, including you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 pages of legal work. Uh, sometimes you, that advisor just needs to be the logjam to the legal process. And uh, it's a critical to have someone there that, that understands how the parties work together to ultimately get through that um, lawyer against lawyer alone uh, oftentimes will get stuck. So I think that's another part where deal facilitation starts to become a critical path to, to getting a deal done. Matt and Mike, I'll, I'll turn it back to you. Any closing thoughts? Well, I think that was a great summary, Ryan. And um and I, we're again, we're super excited about the year to come. Um, we 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 talked a bit uh, about 23 being a little bit of a slower year, and I, we fully expect that the 24 is going to be a much busier year, and so there will be more and more options. 
for providing, you know, deal facilitation. Uh, hopefully the podcast resonated uh, with our listeners that it, it is super important. And then obviously more and more opportunities to provide that full service front to back M&A uh, origination and, and advisory to, to deal close. So we're excited about the year to come. And, and, uh, and yeah, where do we go from here, Mike? Well, I think we all know it's time to tie a ribbon on it. Make it a great week and a great year. And look forward to talking to all of you soon.